Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is Sunday night, January 15th, year of our Lord, 2023. Very wise of our friends in the NFL to schedule what will be the fastest moving game in the time slot right before we go on air. Sure would have been a shame midway through the fourth quarter, Giants-Vikings, to see a drastic dip in viewership because we had the audacity to go on the air. We can work in harmony, they and we. We are jam-packed. We are high atop a glowing downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's approval rating season. We did this last year. It was one of the most popular things we did in the entire offseason. And that is simply removing all the political theater. You know, they do this over on the political side of the fence, but it's, it's normally just foolishness. No, we have concrete data. We have logic-based reasoning behind our job approval ratings. You could be a B-, minus. you could be a C+. Plus. I don't think we have any A-pluses we're doing on the particular show tonight, but you could be. Who knows? Kirby Smart, doing pretty well for himself. He'll probably get an A-plus. We will do approval ratings, and we will start with four head coaches tonight. I've got mystery programs. Those are the ones that we really, frankly, or at least I don't have the slightest clue as to what to expect from them last year or this year. And I've got, I think, four of them that I'm going to circle for you tonight. If you can lead me in the right direction on them, I would be much appreciative. I don't really know. Oklahoma State? What's happening with Oklahoma State right now? Anyway, Portal Intel. We got, I, Jesse, I think you wanted to tell me, or you did tell me, like 99 of the top 100 players in the Portal have settled in, but we still got some movement going on, and we've got some things that we haven't spoken about on the show yet. So if you've been living your life, I don't know, and you haven't followed the day-to-day whims of the Portal, some programs have made some big moves, and some more moves could be coming. We've still got a few days. Nick Saban's making moves. We expected them for a couple of months. But here's the thing about Nick Saban. He never tells anyone what he's going to do. There is no inside information to be gleaned. And so when it finally happens, you kind of go, whew, had some good either guidance or instinct on that one because it's not always the case. They're watching us in Rome, Georgia, Queen City, Texas, Fort Collins, Colorado, and Wilkesboro, North Carolina. I never know how to deal with the kind of news we got out of Georgia this morning horrible with it. And um, so I got the news a little bit later than a lot of people did. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, Devin Willock and Chandler LaCroix, one was a football player for the University of Georgia, and one was working in the recruiting department there. They just had the national championship celebration yesterday. Happy day, confetti all around. And then they got killed in a car wreck last night. So obviously, I know a lot of people inside that program, and obviously they were just on the grandest stage the sport has to offer for the best of reasons. And now today, the program, and two young people in particular, are on the stage 
in terms of national spotlight for the worst of reasons. So all we can do is offer support. All we can do is offer condolences. So we send that from our end. I just, what do you really say? It's terrible. Terrific. Just, I mean, I just saw Devin on the field, what, six nights ago um, d- during postgame. Like, walked right past us for whatever reason. I remember vividly seeing him. And now he's gone. And Chandler LaCroix as well. So tough time for our friends there in Athens and um, some more than others because you've also got family that are dealing with losing someone decades and decades and decades before you should be talking about losing someone. There's also no easy transition to get in a show about far less important matters. So we'll just make the transition as best we can. Job approval ratings for your head coach. Just what we started talking about last January. It really caught on. So I wanted to bring it back and we're going to go a little bit more in depth. And we're just looking at your head coach. Now I'm not necessarily doing this like the mood tracker. I'm doing it more from our vantage point. Pretend like we're real clear politics over here and we're running real time up to the second job approval metrics for your head coaches. And I want to start in Austin, Texas. And I want to start with Steve Sarkeesian. And let me first say... I'm giving Sark a B minus, much to the chagrin of one Latia Carter out there. I'm going to give Sark a B minus. Believe in things like I believe in teams in the state of Texas. Texas since 2010. Producer Jesse walks in today. He says, you're not going to believe this. I said, I bet I will. And he said, I got records, win totals from every Texas team since 2010. It sounds a little something like this. Five, eight, nine, eight. Six, five, five, seven, ten, eight, eight, five, eight. Which leads to the following question What is Texas? There is a school of thought out there that I don't particularly believe in, but the school of thought nonetheless goes like this Maybe Texas just isn't a power program. Maybe Texas just isn't a place where you should have high expectations. Maybe history says Texas is a place that's not necessarily built to win championships. They're not built to do what Georgia's doing right now. It's just not in them. I just, I dismiss that. I don't believe that. I I believe what this little post-it note says here. These numbers are real. I can't deny these numbers, but I can also look at these numbers and just say, this is crippling amounts of underachievement. That's all that is. You will never convince me the University of Texas doesn't have the resources to compete at the highest level. Because I know what the resources are, and I know they have them. So I dismiss that they just can't do it. Remember the old adage around here. Can't, cannot, and have not, two different things. Texas has not. It's not that they cannot. So with that in mind, how do I give Sark a B-? Well, it's a healthy balance of two things. It's a healthy balance of still not being totally sold and overly impressed with the on-field product, but being willing to give him time with the other side of the seesaw. And the other side of the seesaw, I see seated over there a couple of top five recruiting classes. I'm going to give you some time to yell. Hold on. Some of you may not know what I'm doing right now. I'm just so in tune with certain portions of our audience. Friendly will all of them, but I'm in, I'm in tune with some portions of our audience to the degree that I know anytime I mention recruiting in Texas, there, there's like a, Colin, what would you say? Probably like a 17 to 20% chunk of our audience. If they're listening on their phone, if they're watching on YouTube, they just yell, well, stars don't win championships. So I just have taken it upon myself to give you time to yell it. Because you're right. Stars don't win championships. It's just a starting point. 
Now that you've gotten that out of your system, you're done. Okay, let me make my point here for just a second. I know that. But I also know that they are fundamental building blocks. Good football players are fundamental building blocks to having a good football team. And for a while, the problem at Texas was they were not recruiting at an elite level. Some people would lie to you and say, Texas was always recruiting at an elite level. No, they weren't. They may have been recruiting at a pretty good level, not necessarily elite. I think Sark's classes, the last two classes, are some of the best that they brought in because they're balanced. They've got some steak mixed in with the cotton candy. It's not just a bunch of perimeter skill guys. A lot of size, a lot of beef on both lines of scrimmage. And with that, we now at the B minus grade, with the B minus job approval rating with Sark, we look forward and we ask, are you going to be able to do what none of the previous two or three staffs have been able to do? And that is develop them? Because there has been talent on campus. Nothing's happened to it once it got there. That's why the NFL draft numbers are an abomination right now. And yet, I look at what's happening out there right now, and I think expectations should be high. You should not ever sacrifice expectations at a place like Texas. And I think you're bringing in the players needed. You know, we're going to talk about a guy later in the show, Isaiah Nayer, who was a receiver who came in from Wyoming and got hurt in fall camp. I have no idea what would have happened if that kid stayed healthy. All I know is Texas didn't even have a 1,000-yard receiver this year, and he may very well have been that and could have been the difference in two or three games, and we could be talking about 10-win Texas. There were some close losses there, so it's not like there's a long way to go. Like I was, I was looking earlier at, um, who was it, Michigan State. You know, Michigan State lost a bunch of games last year, and all but one of their losses were by double digits. That's not Texas. Texas's losses in most cases, we're very close. So I don't think that they're just light years away from this thing. But at the same time, I got to give a B minus because Sark did not inherit an empty cupboard. There were players there. There are better players there now. They certainly went from five and seven to eight and five. So that's a year one to year two improvement. I'm not nearly as down on Steve Sarkeesian as a lot of other folks are. I have not made my final judgment on him. And I think that the Mike Norvell protocol should be in effect here. You gave that guy two years, and two years only, well, you would have sold him down the river. But look what happened to Mike Norvell if you were willing to give him a third year. All of a sudden, he just popped a double-digit win season on you, didn't he? And everybody's changing the tune on Mike Norvell, who I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. So Mike Norvell protocol in effect in Austin, Texas. Next up, let's go to Oxford, Mississippi. Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin, and I want you to remember before I give you my grade, this is not static. We're not judging all coaches on the same scale. This is not pro sports. We're judging you based on how you're performing with the resources at your disposal against the backdrop of what historically has been the norm for your program. So at Ole Miss, what has the norm been? The norm has been seven wins, seven and a half wins to eight wins on average. That's where they've been. And they've had a couple of really good years. But I'll tell you what they just did. They have had their first ever 10-win regular season under Lane Kiffin. Did you hear what I just said? First ever. They've, they've done this in Mississippi for a while. They've played football there for a while. First ever double-digit win regular season. They've done it some with bowls added in, but never in the regular season. So we got that going for us if we're Lane Kiffin. We got 18 wins the past two years. That's pretty good by Ole Miss standards. Now, they started really hot this past year, and they fell off a little bit, 
Now, I know that's the most recent thing that you remember in your mind, but I just want you to remember, well, I want to talk to myself because I'm the one who sold them a little bit short in the preseason. I thought they lost a lot in the way of talent. Yeah, sure. But they also lost a lot in the way of what I thought was integral, members of their staff. I just thought he was going to have a tough time replacing them. And I'm not saying it was easy for him, but I'm saying if you look in 2021, they led the SEC in total yards per game, leaned very heavily on the pass. And then this year, what they do? Well, they transformed their offensive approach to account for the fact that they didn't have the quarterback in Matt Corral that they had had the previous year. And all they did was lead power five in rushing offense. And you would have looked at them from a 50,000-foot perspective and said, that looked like they really dropped off a whole lot. Well, I mean, that's a testament to Lane Kiffin. Like, if you're looking for reasons to nitpick and, and downgrade the guy, you'll find them, and that's fine. I'm kind of trying to be fair here. You don't accidentally do that, is my point. And also, they've handled the portal really well. Zach Evans is a guy that they went and got out of the portal this last cycle. I expect them to continue to do that. Uh, this is a team, a program, rather, still trying to find its way, I think, in the NIL era. But at the same time, um, let me tell you, there's some talk behind the scenes that Ole Miss is right at the forefront of taking a, a more revolutionary and long-term sustainable approach to NIL. They're very serious about it. They've got some really big brains in the room right now, and that's all at the behest of the head coach, Lane Kiffin. With all that in mind, I'm giving them a B plus, and I teetered on A-. minus, Only because I look at what Ole Miss has been historically, I look at what he's done the past two or three years, and I've asked, is it reasonable for me to be expecting a lot more than he's done? I don't think it is, so I'm giving him a B plus. You know, they go to Tulane in week two this fall, and then they got Bama on the road in week four this fall. I guess they could still start 6-0 again. It'll just be a lot taller a task. Okay, let's head up to Happy Valley, and let's talk about the Fighting Jessies of Penn State, led by one, James Franklin. What kind of grade would you give James Franklin? What kind of job approval rating? Would you give James Franklin right now? This is yet another coach that's got a little polarization about himself. You notice how there are just some coaches around the country. Kiffin's one of them. James Franklin's absolutely one of them. They've never spent time in prison. You know, they've never broken into your shed out back. But there are people out there who don't like James Franklin. Personally, I think the hairstyle has a lot to do with it. You know, we, we, all, we wake up every morning behind the eight ball those of us in that community. And so I don't want you to feel sorry for us. I just want you to feel a little bit sorry for us. I'm giving James Franklin an A minus. Other than making the playoff, which is pretty lofty, what has he not accomplished? That's not a paper pop. That's just, it's like a paper wag. But let's paper, why not? Let's go all the way over the cliff. Let's paper pop it. They won the Big Ten in 2016. He's got a conference championship. They are... He, he's had 11 win seasons four times, Jesse. Is that right? Four 11 win seasons in his tenure there since 2014. Also, six of the last seven recruiting classes have been in the top 15. They just signed Drew Aller, who pretty much the entire world expects to be the best quarterback they've had there. Now we are coming off the, the decade of dominance that was Sean Clifford in State College, Pennsylvania. The only thing they're missing is punching their ticket to the playoff. That's it. You know what they are? They are Triple H at Madison Square Garden in 1998 against The Rock for the Intercontinental Championship. And I think we all remember how that ended. 
Triple H gets the powder in the eyes. He's blinded. It's a ladder match. I should mention that. And so he's all the way at the top of the ladder. He's at the top rung, but he's got the powder in his eyes. And so the belt's there. He's, he's grabbing for it. He's reaching it. Where's the belt? That's Penn State. They're in the ladder match. Rock's down for the count. They just pedigreed him. They're all the way up the ladder. They just got to grab the belt. That's it. Jesse, are you actually typing in the, in, the, uh, in the teleprompter right now? This is breaking news, isn't it? Penn State has landed Dante Cephas. All 100 players in the transfer portal, top 100, are now committed. Hey, that's a big pickup. That's a really big pickup. Hats off to, to Manny Diaz for that one. So even as we're speaking, or no, no, that's the receiver. Yeah, that's right. I'm thinking about Cypress, my bad. Um, big day. Big day for Penn State there. So James Franklin, I'm not going to bump him from an A- minus to an A just because he landed a portal player while we were talking about it, but I'm giving him an A-. minus. I think he's doing a really good job up there, and I think that they are setting themselves up. It feels a lot like Florida State. They're setting themselves up for a season that has the most promise. Another word for that is hype. The most hype around it, as we've seen in quite a while. Speaking of Florida State, one of the most natural transitions we've ever made, Mike Norvell also getting an A- minus from me. Crazy things happen. Just wild things happen. If you have a little patience in life and in college football, people doubted the past two years. Thankfully, I don't necessarily have to count myself among them. I may have doubted some other things. I didn't doubt Mike Norvell. People don't forget how to coach football. Now, if you wanted to argue, boy, maybe they'll just never get it off the ground there. Eh, I, I, I don't think you were dumb if you thought that. I just took a wait-and-see approach with him. Mentioned Sark a second ago. It's the same boat I'm in with Steve Sarkeesian. I'm just kind of waiting and seeing how things work out. They trusted the process down there. You never saw Mike Norvell waver. Uh, you know, I don't think you ever saw a second of him questioning his approach. You know, that, those, are, those are the kinds of people who ultimately weather the storm. I had a guy tell me one time, one of the best pieces of advice is, it's not the strength of the gale, it's the set of the sail. No one ever takes over a job that's a mess and immediately just every light bulb clicks, every button I press works, and, and we're fully operational, we're good to go. That was never going to be the case there. And so you needed a guy that had the sail set the right way because there was going to be a strong, strong gale for a while. And the thing about it is your approach was not going to pay immediate dividends because it's impossible, and so people were going to question it, and you got to have a guy with some backbone. you got to have a guy with a, a spine that's able to look the criticism in the eye and then look straight past the criticism. And Mike Norvell's done that. And now you start to reap some of the rewards. Of course, the people who wanted him out of there are nowhere to be found. That's wonderful. That's great. Portal classes. Number 11 last year. They've currently got the number one overall portal class this year. They just had the first 10-win season since back in 2016. They led the ACC in rushing. They have got a bunch of key players returning, not the least of which is the quarterback, Jordan Travis. They got, obviously, a lot of portal players coming in there. Do you notice this, by the way? Jared Verse, I, I was certain, I would have bet money that he was going to be off training for the combine by now. No, no, absolutely not. Notice these guys coming back and guys who want to play there. Not a lot of folks trying to get out of Tallahassee right now. A lot of folks trying to either get into Tallahassee or stay in Tallahassee, and it's not, the most, it's not the most flamboyant program in the country right now. It's not the program that runs its mouth the most in the country right now. It is a program that's getting things done. 
It's a program that's headed in the right direction, trending up, as they would say. So I am giving them an A minus. I know that may be a little aggressive for some of you, but I'm giving them an A minus. 2023 college football playoff title odds, by the way. I said that really fast. 2023 college football playoff title odds. In other words, your odds of winning the whole thing, Clemson and Florida State, as we mentioned the other night, same exact odds. How about that? For the first time in a long time, it's not Clemson and then a couple of Grand Canyons and then the rest of the ACC. No, now it's Clemson, Florida State, then the Grand Canyon, at least in the odds-making community. Job approval ratings always go swimmingly. See, that was a, that was a layup of an opening to job approval rating season. Because what did we, we didn't go lower than a B minus. We will be going lower than B minuses in the coming shows because we, we have to, um, we have to get our hands dirty. It was, we, it was very easy to ease our way into it there. We got to get our hands dirty. There's a lot, there's a lot to clean up about the sport. So don't worry. We're here to do it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Academy.com, though, is here for us no matter what. Approval rating A++++. I'm out of pluses. I would have gone five or six deep. Academy Sports and Outdoors, quite simply, the reason we're on air. And also, quite simply, the reason you don't have to go very many places for all of your needs, at least when it comes to the sporting goods variety, outdoors variety. They'll hook you up with some shoes just as easily as they'll hook you up with a basketball goal or a tent or a fly fishing rod. They got it all. And they've got us on the air for free. And that's what a presenting sponsor is all about. And just a little side note, they also load me up with Academy gift cards. So when I go on the road, I can just throw them around. It's the closest I'll ever come to feeling like T-Pain. So I appreciate them. We appreciate them. And I appreciate you guys for patronizing them. And they, through me, appreciate it. So thank you so much to Academy. And thank you so much to you guys. Academy.com. If you can't get there in person. Academy.com. A lot of times, let me take a little sip from the chalice here. You don't have to worry, Colin. It's not a night where I'm going to lose my voice. It's just a night where there's a little scratch in the voice. We are famous. Well, we are, we are noteworthy on this show for pioneering the Sarah McLaughlin special. This most certainly won't be included on the YouTube cut column. On this show, we know a Sarah McLaughlin special to be a blowout on the field. And we call it a Sarah McLaughlin special because if you've ever seen the, the abused animal pet shelter commercials where Arms of an Angel is playing in the background and it's Sarah McLaughlin holding the most pitiful, 
downtrodden puppy in the entire place that you've ever seen, and it's entirely geared towards tugging at your heartstrings. It works 100% of the time, by the way, and getting you to give money. The Sarah McLaughlin special in football is very similar. When do you watch a team and go past just watching them to actively feeling sorry for them? Most recently, you saw that last Monday night in Inglewood, California, when we saw TCU get splattered all over the place. Sarah McLaughlin special. Well, there may be another Sarah McLaughlin special in the cards here. Because another great song by Sarah McLaughlin is Building a Mystery. I happened to listen to the acoustic version last night in preparation for the show. Colin, this is where you can endpoint it. College football's mystery programs, there's a lot of mystery this time of year in general, but there are some programs I have no clue about. I don't know what to expect. Quite frankly, I have a hard time explaining what we're getting from them, and I certainly have no clue what to expect in 2023. Texas A&M, first up, does anyone have a system out there or a set of expectations where you think this team is going to win nine-plus games this year, and it's rooted in logic. I'm not just saying, give me someone who is cheering for it. Well, of course everyone in Aggie Nation's cheering for it. Does anyone have the slightest fact-based clue that this is going to work out? This, this deal with Bobby Petrino? A hire that I like, by the way. But just because I like it doesn't mean it's always going to work out. Does anyone look at the exodus? of players in the transfer portal, even if they're explainable and even if a lot of those guys were not going to be welcomed back and think to themselves, I'm 100% sure we will be a much better football team for this. If you can do that, well, you probably make a lot of money betting the sport and retire because I don't know that there's a ton of skill in it. There's hope in it, but we're, we're not doing this based on hope. We want skill. We want to be able to rub that crystal ball and, and we want some guided intel you know we want logic based information and right now i don't know whatever disaster was going to be this past year they were worse than disastrous there was not a world where i thought a&m missed a bowl game worst case scenario very rarely do i oversell worst case scenario and yet i oversold it for them or i guess undersold it because the reality was a lot worse than whatever i thought worst case scenario could have been um, this thing with Bobby Petrino is interesting, though. Like, it's one, of, it's one of the more noteworthy moves in terms of staff that's been made across the country because it would be one thing if Colorado State had made this. All due respect to the Rams. They're watching us in Fort Collins tonight. But if Colorado State made it, you would look and say, it's still Colorado State, though. I don't expect to be hearing their name in the New Year's Six conversation. But the thing about Texas A&M that anyone who has watched the sport for a while, knows is it's foolish to totally ignore a roster with that many players on it. You, you do that at your own peril because small changes to rosters that deep can lead to totally different results one year to the next. So that's why I'm mentioning them. This is not a positive or negative segment. This is an I have no clue segment. And some would argue I should do more of those. But I'm doing you one right now because I don't have the slightest clue what to expect with Texas A&M this year. Mystery program. And the mystery in terms of the program and not just the team is if they were to repeat or have anything close to a repeat next year of what we just saw this year, well, I guess there's more mystery because I don't know what they would do. I know what the buyout numbers are. Yet I also know what the standard is there. And that would have been two years in a row 
of not even coming remotely close to it, mystery program number one. Even though I put A&M at the top of the list, I think the, I can't believe I'm about to say this, the biggest mystery program in America now, to me, is Oklahoma State. Again, this was the model of stability. Every year, they were winning roughly at the same level. Every year, they were recruiting at roughly the same level. And it wasn't always top 10 recruiting classes. In fact, it never was. But they were always in that 25 to 35 range with like one or two exceptions over the past decade to 15 years. Just the model of stability under Mike Gundy. And they started off very, very well this past year. I thought they were on their way to the Big 12 championship game. I thought they were going to get a chance to avenge their loss against Baylor last year. I thought all these things because we got as late as October 22nd when they beat Texas. You see the schedule here if you're watching on YouTube. Look at, look at how good things were. They were one, two, three, four, six and one coming out of that Texas game. That was October 22nd. Then they go to Kansas State and they get blanked. That's where the Every Given Saturday tour was. You talk about a Sarah McLaughlin special. Woof. I would have bought 10 wounded puppies that day if you would have just played the B-roll of that game behind the Sarah McLaughlin music. So listen to this. And it's not just the on-field results, but everything that's happened since then. Since the Texas game, October 22nd, Oklahoma State went 1-5 and five on the field. Their first seven games this year, they scored over 40 points per game. Their last six, they scored 14.1 points per game. It's, it's like someone pulled a lever. It's like someone sucked the oxygen out of the program. They've lost eight offensive guys to the portal. They've lost eight defensive guys to the portal. They'll probably end up losing over 30 total players from this past roster. Recruiting has fallen off a cliff. They, they've never been a team that loads up on five-star talent. But there's a big difference in not loading up on five-star talent, still finishing in the 30 to 35 range like they normally do versus being in the 60s right now. And there's not a long way to go. The early signing day is already behind us. I don't know what's happening. Internally, I don't know what's happening out there. But something not very good is happening out there. And as a result, what, what had been the model of consistency, all of a sudden is one of the biggest mystery programs in the country because I do not know what to expect from Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders, the quarterback, went in the transfer portal, and he's still in the transfer portal. Like No, no one, no one knows what's happening. Derek Mason was the defensive coordinator there. Jesse, didn't he just quit? Didn't he just say, I'm done with football for a little while? After over three decades of being active somewhere in some capacity, Derek Mason said, I'd just rather not, not be in football than be here again this year. So, yeah, Oklahoma State, big mystery. Michigan State, I can't find the center point for the program. I know what I saw last year, but then I know what I saw two years ago. And then three years ago was the COVID year, which was also Mel Tucker's first year, so I didn't have any expectation that year. But you go two and five year one under Mel Tucker. 11 and two year two. That was last year. That was the, that was the big awakening in East Lansing. And then it gets followed up with five and seven. So what is the program? Because if you were to have watched that Michigan State team last year, and then you saw the final record this year, at least if I saw that five and seven, I would think they must have had the Nebraska disease of losing every game by three points. But then you look, 
And their losses to Washington, double digits. To Minnesota, blowout, double digits. To Maryland, double digits. To Ohio State, double digits. At Michigan, double digits. Uh, They lost in overtime by only, what, eight or six to Indiana. Yeah, to Indiana. And so they lost the last game of the year to Penn State, double digits. They weren't close. They can't run the ball. Some of their rushing statistics were the worst in the world this year. And I don't know where the program's headed. I, I don't know. What's the center point? If you could just, if you could just find the happy middle ground. I don't know, because if you were to add all this stuff up, Mel Tucker's first three years, the, the COVID year is kind of weird because they only played seven games, but 11 wins and five wins, it, it averages out to an eight-win per year season, but it's all or nothing. It's feast or famine. There's almost no reason to expect that's where this program will land this year. It almost feels like they'll either be back to shocking the world or missing a bowl game again. And um, neither one of those is good for this segment. That's why they're a mystery program. I can't figure them out. But I can tell you right now, there will be no sustainability up there if they can't run the ball better. Everybody's talking about the quarterback position right now. Peyton Thorne, is he going to come back? And if he comes back, I guess he will. Will he still be the starting quarterback? You're going to be able to run the ball for him? Because if you can't, I don't really care who's playing quarterback for you. You're going to be very, very bad. Very, very ineffective. Lastly, I want to talk about Florida for a second. Spoke about him at length on the show the other night. Talked about the Jaden Rashada NIL situation, which I guess is still not rectified, although it looks like looks like maybe they be fi- or they, they could go fishing in the transfer portal for a player that more than fills that void. We'll see about that. Uh, but Jaden Rashada is still not a Florida Gator, and I don't know that he will be. But that's not what this segment's about. Florida's a mystery program to me, um, again, because they could end up just being great under Billy Napier. But it also could be that the bottom falls out, which is the definition of what lands you in this segment. So it's not positive or negative. It's just a big question mark. The reason I have them here is not because I don't believe in Napier. Quite the opposite. Fully believe in Billy Napier. I think he's a lot more cerebral than folks give him credit for. You know, you don't, you don't know unless you're around someone or unless you happen to you know, be inside the walls of the athletic complex. So it's not like I expect someone in Madison, Wisconsin, to just have a great inside track on Billy Napier, that's fine. Um, there is, there is a, a kind of a misconception that, oh, he's just in above his head. I don't think he is. Or in over his head. I don't think he is. And so um, what I do think, and did a lot of talking to a lot of folks around that program over the past three or four days since the show we had last week, or uh, what was it, uh, Thursday, is I think long-term, they're going to be fine at NIL. There, there's reason to be aggravated with what's happening right now, but you see right now, you're, you haven't even taken off. The, and I'm not talking about Florida. The entire world of NIL is so much in its infancy that a lot of things you worry about right now, you will laugh at in 2026. You will laugh that they were even a big deal or that they were a problem. But right now it is what it is, and that's not even just a Florida problem, although it is a problem or an issue at Florida. But that's the reason why I think there's a question. There are people down there doing a lot of work and a lot of pushing the ball forward positively right now, Billy Napier included, that I think it's laughable that anyone's been mad at that guy about NIL. Scott Strickland, same thing, man. I saw a lot of folks, a lot of folks trying to throw mud on Scott Strickland. 
But what's happened out there right now, not on Scott Strickland or Billy Napier. So they will always, AD and head coach will always shoulder a disproportionate amount of blame and, and probably get too much credit sometimes. But this specific thing, take it from someone who's done some digging, that ain't where the blame should be heaped. Save it for when they're actually at fault for something, not this thing right here. I think they're going to be okay in NIL. I think they're taking a more measured approach. I think long-term, the approach that a program like Florida is taking will probably be more beneficial. But I know it doesn't feel that way right now. And I know it sounds like I'm speaking very vaguely. It's because I am, because I don't want to give you a lot of details, uh, because that's giving your word in exchange for getting some information. But I think it still qualifies Florida as a mystery program, because as much as I can feel warm and fuzzy about where things are ultimately headed, they're not there right now. So right now it's still very bumpy. And um, you, fact of the matter is you can't afford to go six and seven again next year or else no one cares about what it's going to be like five years down the road. They're watching us in Aiken, South Carolina. They're watching us in Jersey, Sewer, New Jersey. They said we couldn't get viewers in Jersey, but we did. They're watching us in Bristol, Florida, probably Bristol, Tennessee, and Bristol, Connecticut as well. I need you to do me just one favor. I think you probably know what it is. If you're watching right now, like the video. Because less than a quarter of you who are watching live have clicked that little thumbs up button. And if you go that far, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on podcast, really good pod numbers this week, go ahead and follow us there. Subscribe, whatever the terminology is. Go ahead and do that for me. It's free. There's no secret there. It just helps us. Show is free for you. Nothing changes. It's just that it helps us. Okay. Transfer portal on fire for the millionth day in a row. However, we're starting to get some clarity. We're starting to see things fall into place. Let me give you some quarterback updates because I know that right now your head's probably spinning. You just came out of the holiday season, bowl season, and you remember that some guys went in the portal when it first opened. You may not know where they all landed. Let's start with quarterbacks. And here's an updated list of who went in there or at least the top 10 or 12. I think it's all we could fit on the screen and where they ended up. Like, we've talked about Sam Hartman already. So Sam Hartman obviously went from Wake Forest to Notre Dame. That was a hiccup. That one hurt. Ouch. Um, Spencer Sanders, I still don't know what's going to happen with him. So we're, we're still waiting on a guy like Spencer Sanders. But elsewhere, Shadur Sanders, Deion's son, obviously stands to reason. He went to Colorado. Hudson Card went from Texas to Purdue. Devin Leary went from NC State to Kentucky. DJ Uyangalale, you may or may not know. I'm just making sure. Clemson to Oregon State. Now, here is my question that we will never know the answer to. If I saw DJ under Garrett Riley, what would it have looked like? I don't know. Garrett Riley has been the offensive coordinator at Clemson for like 10 minutes, so he hasn't really had time to sink his teeth into his current roster. DJ is not a part of it, though. Uh, Brennan Armstrong. Virginia to NC State. What's it going to mean? I have no clue. Some of the most innocuous, you know how rarely I use that word, some of the most innocent, innocuous moves in the portal can, in October, lead to some of the biggest mushroom cloud results. And you're going, I never knew Brennan Armstrong was going to have this impact on the ACC. Well, who knows? So Jeff Sims is the one that's the wild card for me. Jeff Sims was at Georgia Tech, and he's going up to Nebraska. And you got Matt Rule, the head coach there now. Who, who knows how much he does or doesn't like what he inherited. My spidey senses tell me he's probably not crazy about the roster. Just a hunch that he's probably not crazy about the roster he inherited at Nebraska. So 
Jeff Sims may get an early look there. We'll see. That's the quarterback position. Lincoln Riley has done it again, people. I know this comes as a surprise, but for the second consecutive cycle, Lincoln Riley's making some big moves in the transfer portal. USC's got the number two portal class right now. They've got 11 overall commits. That's not a final number, but they have spread it out. If you're watching on YouTube, you see all the different positions that are represented there. I think quarterback was the one that took the cake last year, obviously, Caleb Williams. Well, you don't have a quarterback there. you got pretty much every other position, though. Anthony Lucas, that's a big former five-star defensive lineman from Texas A&M's class, last cycle, cycle before last, that is in Southern California now. Marshawn Lloyd's a really good player. That's that running back, starting running back from South Carolina. So he just, he just goes from the SC over there to the SC out there. And each of those fan bases respectively hates when the other calls themselves the real USC. When I grew up, even though I was in the South, close your ears in Columbia, Southern California was USC. That's just me. That's just, that's just one family's opinion. One child's upbringing in Columbus, Georgia. Excuse me, Forts in Georgia. Uh, Darius Singer also, the wide receiver from Arizona. He's at Southern Cal. Um, one of two programs right now. USC, one of two programs. Top five class in the portal, top 15 class in recruiting. Lincoln Riley's a beast. Now, I don't know how good they're going to be defensively anytime soon, but uh, do not doubt that guy. The difference is all these moves right now are good enough to get him on the brink, get him to the precipice, probably good enough to win the Pac-12. We'll see. They will not cut through the national championship ceiling until they can be better defensively. But, I mean, they, they were on the brink of making the Pac-12, well, making the playoff this year. They were on the brink in year one. So, Jordan Birch went out west as well. That's another uh, big-time name. I don't know how big-time a player he was at South Carolina. Pretty good player, I think. Former five-star guy. It was huge for optics alone that South Carolina landed him when they did. I, he's probably still got his best football ahead of him. And if he's going to get it out of himself, it's going to be done at Oregon because he did indeed transfer out there. Now, this is a few days old. I'm just trying to remind you. Uh, we expected this when he went in the portal. I don't think you and I have spoken about this since then. Oregon's loading up on the defensive line. This is just one of several pieces. You look at their recruiting class, their defensive linemen all up and down that list. They've got some guys coming back. And so they, in Eugene, Oregon, not surprisingly because of who the head coach is there, are taking Depth along the defensive front very seriously. You know, you have not watched Oregon for a while and said, that's the kind of program that's two or three deep with, with quality, maybe future Sunday NFL-type defensive linemen. Well, they are, they are putting forth their best effort to making sure you can say that about them in the future. And when you think about the style of play out there and you think about what separates some of those West Coast teams from being able to compete nationally, what do we always say? State of California, which is the talent reservoir out west, produces a lot of players, doesn't produce a lot of really quality offensive and defensive linemen, or at least it hasn't been lately. I mean, total drought in that department. Well, Oregon's finding a way. And that's why I'm taking Oregon very seriously out there, now and indefinitely moving forward. Also, Brian Kelly, doing a really good job acquiring talent down at LSU. Now, their recruiting class is really good, but they also have the number five portal class 10 overall players here I'm I'm really interested to see what Denver Harris does they've taken so many corners Jesse told me 
They have four four-star corners out of the portal, not in recruiting, out of the portal. And Denver Harris is one of them, and that is yet another guy who is part of that much ballyhooed. I don't know that I've ever said that word. I've just heard it. But ballyhooed class for Texas A&M last year, and he did not have things pan out for him in College Station. That doesn't mean he's not talented. It just means it didn't work out there. Maybe it works out at LSU. They, they swung big, and apparently, judging by the stars on this piece of paper in front of me, hit big, or fairly big at least, when it comes to cornerback recruiting out of the portal. Also, Aaron Anderson is a guy that I don't know why it is, but out of high school, I followed his recruitment pretty closely. He was out of Louisiana. He committed to Bama. Uh, I don't know what happened with him there. It didn't work out. He is back at LSU now. Some people thought he'd landed LSU out of high school. And Nick Saban said, let's just defer that. Come up here, spend a year, then you go back to LSU. I think he's going to be a good player. I still, I think, look, his reviews out of high school were really good. A lot of people I trust said, watch that one. He's underrated. Uh, He's not nearly as high profile as some of these other guys. So I'm not going to punt on him after one year. Also, you can't help but notice that as all this influx of talent is happening for LSU, there is one name, or at least as of late, there's one name that's on the way out the door, and that's Walker Howard. And that was a very, very big in-state quarterback product, either last cycle or cycle before last. And so they had that little three-way dance that was going on at quarterback. And you got Jaden Daniels, who's coming back. And you got Garrett Nussmeyer, who's also in that mix. Both of them played a pretty healthy amount this past year. I thought it was kind of peculiar that Brian Kelly, after the bowl game, had no hesitation in saying, yeah, Jaden Daniels is going to be the starting quarterback. Now, Garrett can compete for the job. Nussmeyer can compete for the job, but, but Jaden Daniels is starting quarterback. I thought he'd just have it totally open, and uh, he didn't choose to do it that way. It's his program, so it's, it's his constitutional right to operate his quarterback room the way he sees fit. It's a fact. That's just in the Constitution. But Walker Howard said, I'm out. And Walker Howard, probably going to be a really good player for someone as well. That is where the University of Florida may enter the equation, may enter the equation. And how interesting would it be if after all this, here, here's another first, first time word usage alert, after all this hullabaloo, God bless Meemaw for introducing me to that one, after all this hullabaloo about Jaden Rashada, what if they just go land Walker Howard and he ends up being the starting quarterback there? What if? What if I told you? So, uh, you know, let's see this through before we just totally cast Billy Napier out into the Gulf. Let's just see it through. Uh, Jihad Carter, Jihad Carter, spells his name a little weird. I have trouble with it. Jihad, I'm used to J-I-H-A-A-D. That's a good old-fashioned Jihad where I come from. But J-A apostrophe H-A-D is interesting. I can get used to it. It's just interesting. Nevertheless, he has moved on from Syracuse and he is a safety now, top safety in the portal that will be playing his football for Ohio State. Number 13 overall player in the portal. You want to see his best game. You probably need to go watch the Pitt game. But also, if you were watching the Clemson-Syracuse game this past year, you remember that little scoop and score? That was him. So if, if, you just, if your mind works in like memory framework highlight mode, you probably saw Jahard Carter returning a scoop and score against Clemson. I think he's going to be very good for Ohio State. That's probably a move that didn't receive a ton of, a ton of fanfare 
Although in Columbus, it probably did. I didn't hear a lot about it nationally. That's why we're talking about it here. 6'2", 198, big body there. He plays safety. It's not a corner. Let's see what Jim Knowles and company does with Jihad Carter. So that is the most up-to-date picture of the transfer portal we have for you. Now, there are some more moves going on. It's not just, not just players moving around. I'm going uh, to post a little message there in the live chat. Just to prove here, here is also a, uh, here's a, it's very unprofessional. Yes, there is a smiley face. Because some people think I'm not really in the live chat, but I'm in the live chat. It's right here, right here to my left or right. So um, we had a question, actually scratched that. We had like a million questions about the same thing. So Director Colin, part of his responsibilities around here is that he chooses from a batch of millions of tweets, and he just says, we're going to go with this one. So here's the one Director Colin went with. Question. Hey, love the show from Decatur, Alabama, former home of Rolando McLean, by the way. What are your thoughts on Pete Golding to Ole Miss? Do you think more moves for Bama are coming? Pete Golding, defensive coordinator the last few years at Alabama. You missed the news. He is now the defensive coordinator for Ole Miss. We expected this, but I was never sure. See, that's the thing with Nick Saban. He doesn't let anyone know anything. He runs his program the same way I run Pate State. If, if Jesse's going to get canned, Jesse will not know about it until it's already happened. And Pete Golding did not get canned. See, that's the, that's the other difference. Nick Saban never fires anyone. Think, think back. All the years he's been there, all the coaches he's had come through there, especially coordinators, who's been fired? The Lane Kiffin thing was really weird and happened the week of the championship game, but Certain extenuating circumstances led to that. Just for strictly on-the-field reasons, who's been fired? He doesn't fire anyone. He, he facilitates them moving on elsewhere. It's really the most like boss power move you could ever execute. If you think about it, who else has that ability? To never have to fire anyone, you just, you just put them where you want them. Now, I know that that sounds a little disrespectful. It's not. It's just reality. I know there has been some reporting that this was fully Pete Golding's decision and he's at Ole Miss because he just chose to take the defensive coordinator job in Oxford over the defensive coordinator job in Tuscaloosa. I'm going to let you read between the lines as to how you feel about that. I'm just going to tell you Nick Saban had both hands on the wheel of this decision. So wish Pete Golding all the best in Oxford. We've got one coordinator opening in Tuscaloosa now. Where are they going to go? Where? Will Nick Saban turn? I tend to believe that this move is not being made unless he is well down the road on knowing who the replacement's going to be. Now, that does not mean that there's already been an agreement and the replacement is either on his way to Tuscaloosa or is already in Tuscaloosa. It may not quite be that, but it may just be that Nick Saban, let's say, has assurances from two or three guys that he wants to choose from that any of them would come if he were to offer the job. Well, if your top three choices have all said yes in theory, then you feel pretty safe moving on from who your current defense coordinator is. That's one possibility. Again, let me, let me emphasize. Can't do it in strong enough terms. No one knows but Nick Saban. I don't think Pete Golding knew until the morning of this past week and have pretty good reason to believe that. So, Glenn Schumann at Georgia, sure, I think he's a possibility. I think Jeremy Pruitt's a possibility. 
And that one sort of raises some eyebrows because that one comes with some NCAA baggage, if you want to call it that. At the very least, there are unresolved issues with Jeremy Pruitt. I don't pretend to know what's going to happen there. No one else does either. What Nick Saban can do that you and I can't do is he can pick up the phone, University of Alabama can, call Indianapolis, Indiana, NCAA headquarters, and get pretty good guidance on that. And then they can decide internally whether the university is willing to sign off on that kind of move. Uh, you, you could have some punitive measures taken from the NCAA on Jeremy Pruitt in May or June. We don't know yet. Have no clue. So that's all got to be taken into consideration. Jim Leonard from Wisconsin is obviously a name that's been in the mix. But let me just remind you guys, I learned this long ago. It, you don't know. There is no skill in this. So I'm not going to forecast it for you. Uh, what I will say is last time there was a coordinator opening there, Nick Saban went to the University of Texas San Antonio. That's where he found Pete Golding. So did Pete Golding's name even appear on anyone's list before that? I don't think so. Having said that, some of you have hit me up and you've said, how is, how is Nick Saban making position coaching hires when he doesn't even have his coordinator position filled? The first thing I would tell you is that doesn't matter because coordinators don't make hires or rarely do they even have input on hires at Alabama to begin with. So he can do it in whatever order he wants because he's going to make all the hires anyway. The second thing is just because a coordinator has not been hired doesn't mean the head man there doesn't have a pretty darn good idea of where he's going on the hire. And the third thing is it's his defense anyway. So we're not talking about the Bill O'Brien offensive coordinator situation, which I'll get to in just a second, which I also think is rapidly approaching. It, it's, it, there's a reason why there's been so much staff churn there and they are largely consistent. It's because it's one guy's way and a lot of other guys come in there and learn to do it his way and then they succeed to varying degrees or they don't. Uh, but it's always going to be his way. It's the same thing Kirby Smart's built at Georgia. It's just a little bit fresher over there. If Glenn Schumann were to leave Georgia and go to Alabama, here's a bold prediction for you. Georgia's defense is not falling off very much. Not falling off very much because as much respect as I have for Glenn Schumann ain't his defense. Nor would it be Glenn Schumann's defense at Alabama. Having said that, the rub you get from being the D.C. under Kirby Smart or Nick Saban is worth its weight in platinum and gold. So the other side of this is the other question there was, do you think more moves are coming? Yes. In the affirmative, yes, I don't think Bill O'Brien's going to be the offensive coordinator at Alabama when spring ball rolls around. I don't believe that, but you never know. But I have very, very solid instinct on that. Don't think he will be. Unlike Pete Golding, Bill O'Brien just has a contract that's about to expire. So you haven't seen a move made yet there. There may not be a move. It may just be his contract expires. There's a handshake on the front step, and Bill O'Brien's on his way to the Patriots or Titans or something like that. Who knows? He may stay in college and go get himself a, a lower-level college football head coaching job. I don't know what he's going to do. I just don't think he's going to be at Alabama. But I know it seems like it's taking so long, uh, but it's not really taking all that long. It's just that maybe it's not your timetable that is being operated on, which is a little frustrating. I get that. Uh, but I... I think Nick Saban's probably well on his way to figuring out what he's going to do there as well. The OC move, though, if there is one, that's the one that I am totally fascinated by. Totally fascinated. I had no clue, no clue where he could go on that. A lot of people will put lists out there. No guidance. 
None. I have spoken to people close to the program, as close to the program as I can possibly get. They don't know. They, I could have walked up to Nick Saban last Monday night. We were there. We were on the sidelines standing over there in, in um, SoFi Stadium. I probably could have asked him, and he would have just smiled and said, how do you like this blue suit? Did you hear what Pollock said to me? That's probably more along the lines of the answer I would have gotten from him. I think there will be another coordinator move coming. I think you're going to see two new coordinators up there. We've guaranteed one. I think we're going to get another one. And um, still sitting there with the number one recruiting class in the country. So haven't lost, to my knowledge, a single player because of staff moves. Finally, but not leastily, if you will, we got to hit bold predictions. Graded tonight. Bold predictions back in August were fun. See, it's consequence-free in August. Anyone can just say anything they want to, but I put out the challenge to you. I said, don't just speak freely. Pretend you have to bet money on this stuff. Now, what do you have to say to me? And some of you still went pretty bold. For example, how about this first one? Brett said, my bold prediction, no Georgia or Alabama in this year's college football playoff. Of course, that was never going to happen, Brett. I told you at the time. I did not think that was going to happen. I put a 9.3 on a scale of 1 to 10 boldness on this one. And my quote was, if one of these teams misses the playoff, there's a high likelihood it's because of the other one. It turns out that wasn't the case. But it didn't matter because Georgia made it anyway. Georgia had, had room to lose and still make it in for the second year in a row. Only they didn't lose this time around. Number one and number two were Georgia and Alabama in preseason odds backwards. Bama was one, Georgia was two. I just didn't see a world where neither of them made it in. And that did not happen. So 9.3, that one misses. Pay up, Brett. I can't remember the dollar amount we agreed on. Next up, this one's unfortunate. Cautionary tale on this bold prediction. Isaiah Nayer from Cole Thompson. Isaiah Nayer will become the number one receiver at Texas. He'll win the Bolitnikoff with over 1,300 receiving yards and 10-plus touchdowns. Isaiah Nero was lost for the season, like the second week of fall camp, and we never got to see him. And I thought he was going to have a terrific campaign. I don't know if he's going to win the Blitnikoff. Wouldn't have surprised me, though. He was really good at Wyoming. He was stepping into the perfect situation. He was going to be there on the field with Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy, and instead, those were your two leading receivers. I think uh, Worthy went for 760 yards. Whittington had... 652. They didn't even have a thousand yard receiver this year, which is a shame. It may very well indicate that Isaiah Nair would have been that guy. But this is also a valuable lesson for you when it comes to win total betting. You know, there are a lot of times where you look at preseason over under win totals and you're shocked at how low some of them are. Now, Texas's was pretty high up there, but in general terms, you look and you say, I can't believe how low that win total is. And then you lick your index finger, touch my lip there, kind of enticing if I do say so myself, but you lick that index finger, you crack open your preview magazine, and you look at that nice, pristine, un unbothered roster, and you say, how could this team only have a win total of seven? This looks like a nine-win team. It probably is. That team's not going to finish the season. <laughs> You're going to have red Sharpie through several of those names, unless you become the first team in history to never have an injury. Well, odds makers have to take that possibility into account and they have to bake it in because if odds makers were to just put out an over-under win total on the open betting market that doesn't factor in injuries, 
they'd get hammered to death on unders because everyone would bet unders. Well, everyone who's smart would bet unders like we did with Texas, actually. We made money off betting the under on Texas because it was too high. And it's because, in part, stuff like this happened. It's not that you want it to happen. It's not even that you know when it's going to happen. It's just to one degree or another with every program, it's an inevitability there will be injuries. Can you limit them and, and keep them from being your star players is the great wild card. But that stuff has to be factored in. Those odds makers jobs are not easy. Those numbers are not easy to set. But sometimes when they're a little bit lower than maybe you think, because you may be thinking in best case terms, they can't put out a number that's best case on that front. Uh, next up, this one's interesting, and I'm going to say it hit. Here is, um, here's the prediction. Nick Singleton, running back, freshman running back for Penn State. He will be 2022's Travion Henderson. He's going to rush for 100-plus yards. I think he meant 1,000-plus yards and 10-plus touchdowns this season. He did rush for over 1,000 yards. He did rush for over 10 touchdowns. That hit. And if you look at the stat profile, Travion Henderson's 2021 with Ohio State was phenomenal. He averaged 6.81 yards per carry. Nick Singleton, on a few less attempts this past year, had uh, 1,061 yards, had 6.8 yards per carry, almost identical. If you, if you calibrate for the fact that Henderson had more attempts, they're almost identical stat profiles. The difference is Trayvon Henderson a lot more active in the passing game than Nick Singleton was this past year. Uh, watch that change this coming fall. That's probably a, a focal point of Nick Singleton's game this fall. Also, Nick Singleton split carries a lot. So they, they didn't run him to death. That is the approach that, that any sound-minded coaching staff is taking now with running backs. No one's running a running back 40 times a game. Or at least you shouldn't have to because you should be recruiting well enough, which they are at Penn State. Next up, this one just, this was dead on arrival. Jacob, what are you, what are you thinking? Jacob said no Big 12 or Big 10 team will make the college football playoff. Narrator, 75% of the college football playoff was Big 10 or Big 12. How was this ever going to happen? I can't believe I only put a 9 on this. This should have been our first 10. The Big 12, I get. Even the Big 12 wasn't left out, though. But the Big 12, yeah, I could have seen that. How in the world was the Big 10 going to be left out? Did you see those schedules? How was the Big 10 going to be left out? If not Michigan, then Ohio State. If not Ohio State, then Michigan. And if neither of them, then James Franklin and Penn State's probably shocked the world. Or someone's done something incredible in the West. So, yeah, it's, ugh, this was a disastrous prediction. Not quite as disastrous as the next one, though. I say all this in good fun. You get to live in my world now. You see, I got I to gotta just put it on the line in August. I got to make all these proclamations in front of God and everyone. And then you get to take them and throw them in my face in December. This is my only recourse. It's the only time I get to dish out this medicine. How about this? How about this little prediction from Jackson? A healthy Casey Thompson is a Heisman finalist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can we start over? We're live, pal. A healthy Casey Thompson is a Heisman finalist with his Heisman moment coming at Michigan. In the, okay, uh, Casey Thompson had a 17 to 10 touchdown interception ratio this year. Nebraska went four and eight. I, I don't even know if Casey Thompson could find New York City on a map. He probably can, but it was not going to be because he went there this year as a Heisman finalist. And I don't think that was ever in the cards. And I said that in August because I put a 9.1 on the boldness scale 
on this one. Casey Thompson's head coach was out by week four. And that's all she wrote on that prediction. That's all she wrote in bold predictions tonight. We went over an hour, which is in and of itself kind of an upset tonight. I know that there are, I'm told, the streets are saying that there is another NFL playoff game tonight. I just think it was wise of the league to leave us this window so that we could get the show in. Now you got your college football fix, and now you get to just seamlessly transition right back into the pro game. We, we know our place. They know their place. We're fine. I appreciate you guys so much. Just make sure you're following on the socials, at Late Kick Josh. For producer Justin, for director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. We'll be back same time Tuesday night. Until then, have a great week. Take care of yourselves. God bless. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever... I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.